0: The Pinball Network is online. Launching The Plum.
1: Hello there, strangers. It's fall. It's November. Did you change your clocks back yet? Does anybody still have clocks? (laughs) Um, I hope you had a great Halloween. I hope you stayed safe. I hope you kept a good distance and you washed your hands and you wore your masks, be it spooky or otherwise. I myself stayed home and watched The Lion King, uh, and cried. <laughs> uh, listen, it's a, it's an emotional movie, okay? And it's, it's beautifully animated and, and, uh, and things are pretty emotional right now, so, so you can't blame me. <laughs> so this is episode six. Let's talk about some pinball and some other stuff. There's two months of 2020 left. Isn't that wild? I know that the year has kind of been a a shitscape, and I try not to be superstitious or, you know, be like, oh it's 2020, when 2021 happens, everything's gonna be fine. But um, we can certainly hope for for better times ahead. I, I've been listening to a, a shit ton of Mark Maron lately. Uh, he's been really awesome. Uh, just a great serotonin boost for for me. And um, he has this kind of mantra that he's been saying. It's like an affirmation, I guess, which is um, something along the lines of like, use whatever you can or use whatever you have at your disposal to maintain your sanity, without hurting yourself or others. And I really appreciate it because it's almost like a utilitarian way of looking at things positively, like, like take care of yourself, but, but be thoughtful about it and, and don't do anything stupid. Uh, yeah. Anyways, on, on that note of positivity, I wanted to thank everyone who reached out to me about episode five with some positive feedback and constructive criticism. And uh, I just really appreciate you guys reaching out and and letting me know that that you listened to it and that you enjoyed it. I I love that. That's great. So there's been a few cool pinball things happening. Uh, Guns N' Roses was released a few weeks ago, and I haven't played it. I've only seen videos, and I'm I'm really interested to play it. I'm not wild about Guns N' Roses, and I try not to make judgments on pinball machines that are theme-based, because there certainly have been a lot of theme-based pinball machines that, that I've enjoyed quite a bit. But I do not like Axel Rose's voice. <laughs> and uh, the, the lights seem a little bright. Uh, I feel like I'm going to have a hard time with that because I do have some light sensitivity issues. I know that uh, a couple of other people have been Made that criticism as well. Again, I, I try not to to do judgments on pinball machines until I've actually played them. So I'm looking forward to that. It's it's pretty cool that they managed to deliver those machines pretty much day of or like you know a few days before the announcements were made with with no real leaks and um, to be able to allow streamers to to stream them right off the bat. It's a really smart business move, and I, I think that was um, that was really well done and cool to see for sure looking forward to getting my hands on on one of those. So um, here in Columbia, I started the first bells and chimes meetup. So it was essentially like a meet and greet, really casual tournament play. And the like four women who regularly play pinball and are are very, very good showed up. Um, Some other random girls who just happened to be at the bar decide to sign up for the tournament and uh, <laughs> bless their sweethearts. They, they had no idea what they were doing. They didn't know how to start a four player game. Um, and of course the, the women that we were that were playing with them managed to teach them kindly and they, they were really into it and they actually were asking the bar owner a few days later when another meetup was going to happen. So I'm really pumped about that. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about doing more tournaments Uh, just because of the spikes in numbers that have that have been happening. And um, the number of people who show up without masks is kind of, I'm not super wild about it. But um, I guess it's just one of those things like we'll wait and see. And and if it feels safe enough to do so, then then we'll have tournaments. But um, it's definitely in a busy part of town. And it makes me just a little bit nervous. I've had some other ideas that I'm really excited about, and I'm starting to get really antsy to start throwing tournaments, because Cola never really had any kind of arcades to play pinball. Like There weren't a lot of pinball places. If there were pinball places, there was like one or two machines, and they were... Very poorly kept up, so I've just been kind of pumped to get to get something going. I want to do like a pin golf league here and um, like some other selfie leagues and stuff like that. And I think the selfie league might be more manageable since we won't have to congregate. But uh, those are just some ideas that I'm I'm hoping to get off the ground. I'm getting really excited about here here in Colombia. So that's the news on my end for the most part. Um, not much else really happening. Um, I I want to give a shout out to Jeff Teolis and Pinball Profile. It's his four-year anniversary. I think he said four years. Um, I think he started in 2016 is what he said on his little Facebook post. So so that's really awesome. He really works super hard and, and pumps out episodes both for Pinball Profile and for uh, the final round podcast with with Marty Robbins. So he's one of the hardest working uh, highest paid pinball podcaster's out there, so so congrats to him. That's that's really awesome. He's definitely one of the guys who influenced me to to start podcasting. So um, I think that's that's really awesome. He's been going at it for so long. So today's interview is a little bit different. Um, this is not necessarily a pinball person, although he is a, a little pinball adjacent, I guess you could say., uh, his name is Brad Albright. He is an illustrator out of Texas. I met him for the first time at TPF a few years back. Uh, he's he was selling these three d posters that that just looked so just so cool and so badass. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen as far as like specialty illustration or specialty art. I really enjoyed this interview because Brad kind of turned it around on me and and he actually asked me a few questions, which is really refreshing because as I've mentioned like thousands of times before, I want these interviews to be as conversational as possible. So the fact that he was, you know, so amiable in in that way was, was really enjoyable and it was cool to talk to him. So uh, here he is. How's it going? What are you working on?
0: Good, good. Well, uh, Let's see, what am I working on? I just, uh, I just put the finishing touches on a new poster. It's a 3D dinosaur piece, which is kind of a throwback to what I was doing like eight years ago. But,
1: yeah, I saw you posted that piece today. Uh, what, what did you do? What was it eight years ago? Because I had never heard of it. I'd never seen anything about dinosaurs before. I'd never seen you post anything like that.
0: Yeah, that's just kind of subject matter that I was playing with back then when I was really just working on black and white pen and ink style style illustration. And, and that's also when I started my grad school journey. I got my MFA in illustration. and prehistoric stuff was just kind of, I don't know, just my inspiration at the time. I've since you know veered off and done a bunch of other things and gotten way more colorful. Um, but a, a puzzle company um, called Cloudberries reached out to me from the UK and they specifically uh, were using one of my old pieces as a, a point of reference saying like, Hey, can you do something just like this? But in, you know, these dimensions and make it 3d with some color. It was a cool opportunity to kind of revisit what I was doing, but with, you know, my new, newer found, I don't know, I guess confidence and control and some of my newer approaches to color and things like that.
1: Sure, yeah. It's it's definitely different from like a lot of the stuff that you kind of normally do on a regular basis. Just like it looks like it's just mostly like pop culture stuff, like sci-fi, comedy, films especially, and um, even like politics every once in a while, which is which is really cool. So did they actually make that into a puzzle?
0: Uh, it will be, yeah. Just sent it off. They have like the exclusive rights to make puzzles, but I retain all the rights otherwise. So that's why I was ready to just kind of unleash the thing and, and share it.
1: So are you still doing the uh, the sticker a day thing?
0: No, I I fired that up back in, I guess it was April. It was like right, right as, you know, quarantine lockdown was happening. Um, and it was just kind of a good exercise for me. I would love to be able to do that kind of thing all the time, like have a daily project, but I've just never been really good at keeping up with that. I have people that I went to school with that they've been doing a daily illustration for you know like 15 years or something it's it's amazing when people can do that but for me I eventually you know a month is usually my cap and then I kind of have to veer off and work on client work or something and eventually you know if, if I don't have too much kind of on my plate then maybe I'll assign myself something like that but I still like stickers as an outlet. It's a really good way for me to take something that's a casual drawing exercise and then be able to turn it into something, you know, especially right now, people seem really receptive to that kind of like bite size giftable art because, you know, they're on lockdown and it's something cool that they can send to a friend or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. that it grabs their attention, especially if it's something that they relate to or, or something that they recognize. Um, and that's something I really appreciate about like, like pop culture art um, is it's like, Oh, yeah, I know that thing. Oh, I can put that on my, you know, on my record player or my notebook or whatever. And, and um, that was really fun to see. Did you come up with that idea? Or did someone like challenge you to do it?
0: Uh, no, I think it was just, I don't know. Uh, you mean making stickers?
1: The sticker a day thing.
0: That was just a product of me kind of having a workflow down where, you know, if I wasn't going to take a drawing as far as what what I would consider like a, a complete composition, like I would do for a poster where it's like a full rectangle of artwork, if sure. it's just, just an element that's a little bit more whimsical like that, then really the best way that I can sort of... I don't know, turn it into a commodity, I guess, um, sure. or mo- monetize um, just a way that I can like instantly like put it out there for people. I already have kind of my process figured out for making stickers and I, I produce everything that I can in house. So it's easy to just, you know, print out like a test sheet. And then if it doesn't fly, if people don't really go for it, it's no big deal because I'll just do another thing another day or two.
1: How does your process differ for like different mediums as far as like, so, cause you have posters, you have stickers, you have, um, like a wood, like a laser wood etching, uh, which is kind of like a, I believe it's just like a, usually meant as a wall piece. If that's, if that's yeah. correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you, is it basically the same process for all these different things? Uh, forgive me. I'm a little bit new to, to understanding how, how, you know, how art is made art like this yeah. anyways.
0: Sure. No, thank you. Um, in my case, yeah, it's it's all mostly the same process. I um, I work digitally, like probably ninety five percent of the time. I do really like working with pen and ink and things like scratchboard, and that's sort of what I was working on back when I was talking about dinosaurs and things back in twenty twelve, in maybe twenty thirteen as I was finishing grad school. Then I made the sh- uh, the shift. I switched over to working digitally, but in a way that was replicating my look from before. So nowadays, pretty much start to finish, I do my drawings on my iPad. And I just, I really have taken nicely to the the iPad with the Apple Pencil. Um, they just, they nailed that tool set. It just works so well that, um, now I just I work mostly in an app called Procreate. It's kind of like Photoshop but for mobile. And it's just like my digital sketchbook. I have dozens of drawings in there that are at different stages and I'll just pull one up and kind of chip away at it over time and I can take it with me. I can sit in bed or sit on the couch or sit upstairs in my studio. I'm going to try to do a better job of sharing more of my process. Like that dinosaur piece, I have the entire process in video form. Like I did screen capture all the way through. So what I'm gonna do is crunch that like nine, 10, 12 hours, crunch it down and speed it up and then do like a narration over it where I kind of watch what I'm doing and, and kind of analyze and explain my process. Cause I take it for granted how I kind of go from start to finish, but it might not be obvious to other people how that works. Yeah.
1: Well, there's, there's something about being present during your process and, and sort of enjoying it and, and, you know, not thinking about it too much, I guess. And I could see that, but it's also, you do such interesting work that it, it would be cool to see how it's done, you know, like, especially the 3d stuff. And, and like I mentioned the wood, uh, what do you call that? The, the wood art that I'm thinking of? There's one that's like an astronaut. (laughs) Sure. Yeah.
0: I guess you'd call it like a relief sculpture, but I'll explain it just because anyone listening is not going to know <laughs> what we're talking about exactly. It's it's basically taking an illustration that's that's drawn digitally. Um, I do work in layers, but not not the way you might think. Um, like in the image, if there's something behind something else, I don't draw those elements in layers. But I work you know, with like the line art itself. The outlines will be one layer, and then the different elements of kind of color and shadow. Those will be different layers but then I'll flatten it down. And then for these these wood pieces, the art is then, essentially what it is, is it's printed and adhered to wood. And then the wood itself is laser cut. And then it gets stacked back up in a dimensional way where, you know, in the image, something that's behind something else won't be as deep in layers of wood. And so when you hang it on the wall, then you get this, this sort of three-dimensional thing where if you kind of move around it, you, you get that sort of 3D sense that you might get from looking at, I don't know, like a lenticular, uh, those uh, like postcards that, you know, they look 3D if you kind of turn them side to side.
1: Sure. Did, uh, did it take a little bit of time to get it right, to get like, like the actual wood print made correctly, like to, to oh, yeah. how you wanted it to look? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that, of all the things that I do granted the 3d stuff I've been kind of trial and error figuring that out for a much longer time this this stuff with the wood that's something I kind of like I had the vision for it years ago but I didn't really know how to execute it and I along the way tried you know cutting out sheets of paper and then sticking them together with little pieces of foam in between to to raise it up and it's it's super flimsy, but it, it was kind of pointing in the right direction. But then I had crowd supported, crowd funded um, this laser cutter called the Glowforge. That then took, gosh, like two or three years, I think, to to actually deliver. After oh wow! I had supported it, but it's been fantastic, and that has really enabled me to do these uh, you know these pieces of wood. And more recently, it's been. Christmas ornaments they've been on fire this whole year and that's another kind of fun way to take the same sort of art that maybe I would apply to a sticker and then it's it's on wood and it's sort of sealed and protected and then I use twine to give it a little loop and it's it's real tactile and nice and so that's that's pretty popular on my my Etsy store and it's a another fun whimsical way to kind of turn some drawing exercises into something that people can gift each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I always like that. I like seeing that, uh, whenever I see you at, uh, at shows, usually it's, it's TPF, but, uh, and you're always doing the ornaments like all year, which is really, really awesome. It's kind of something that surprised me about you. I was like, Oh, he's, he's still doing, you know, like most people now are doing a whole bunch of Halloween shit. They're like, Oh yeah, it's Halloween time. You're like, let's do some, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation ornaments.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. well, that was actually that was for a show that they were doing at a gallery in LA. But it's funny you mentioned me having the ornaments at shows. Like I have the damnedest time trying to sell them in person. They don't really move, but then online they do really well. Um, Yeah, sure. and, And I'm terrible about doing things ahead of time for Halloween. Like I love Halloween, and every year it feels like I kind of missed my opportunity. But I think people don't spend money on Halloween stuff quite the way that they do buying gifts for Christmas.
1: So, so we mentioned uh, uh, seeing you at shows and stuff like that. Uh, when did you start going to shows to sell stuff, like to, to set up your booth?
0: Uh, let's see. So I had started doing some little shows locally back when I was still working full time. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a group here that was doing these little themed shows. And this is aside from like gallery shows, which I do anyway, but these were these little pop-up things that they were doing at, at barcades that were themed around like Rick and Morty, Stranger Things, Bob's Burgers. These were all individual like one night things that we did at bars. And that was, that was kind of the start of me going and setting up with my stuff and it was also kind of the start of me doing the pop culture work before that I kind of resisted doing anything pop culture inspired because it's it's a little bit more of a gray area when it comes to working with the rights Mm -hmm. um because by and large it's it's unlicensed fan art it's not uh endorsed by the creators or the animation studio or whatever it is but it it's kind of like supporting the the world of the fandom, um, but then once I started getting invited to doing these shows, these group art shows, for whatever reason I felt more justified in doing it, and it was just the right it was the right kind of subject matter to apply what I was already doing with the three D art, and and when I say three D art, this is like the red and blue glasses, the old school stuff, and people just took to that so well in person that. Then I kind of realized, hey, maybe there's there's something here. There's something to this. And then it was just a couple of years later that I decided it was time to to quit my day job because if I wanted to start doing things like like local art festivals, you know, where you go yeah. and walk through and there's all the booth tents set up, I was finding that it was a full time job just getting ready to do that sort of thing.
1: Sure. How did you, how did you take to like basically managing yourself at that point? Because, you know, if you're quitting your your full-time day job to, to do this, was it a challenge to get over or was it something that you, you found surprisingly easy?
0: Managing myself wasn't, wasn't a problem. Um, if anything, I was just working too much, too hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, ended up being was that I was working every day, but maybe at a more casual pace than I would have before. Um, Because when I was working full time, I would be at the office all day, and then I'd come home and I'd be working on my own stuff at night and on the weekend. Still working constantly. It was just kind of a different pace. Uh, Thankfully, I had my Etsy shop already established, already kind of getting a sense of what was working and having a bit of revenue there. And then it was just a matter of balancing that against commissions over here. And then the spring art festivals over here. And thankfully, you know, the festivals were lucrative enough that I never had to dip into my savings in that first year. And that was really my, my big goal. And then that's kind of when I fell back in love with pinball. Once I was on my own I suddenly was receptive to like new inspiration and I, somewhere along the lines, I just rediscovered pinball and found that there were actually places around where I can go and play.
1: Yeah. Had you played uh pinball? So you'd play, played pinball before you uh, had made pinball art. Yes.
0: Yeah. It, okay. did, it had been a long time. Uh, I always, mm-hmm. I always knew that I loved pinball and it was, just a question of how accessible was it? You know, is it around anymore? You know, growing up, there was always, at least there was an Adam's family, you know, at the, the restaurant or the, the bars. And we, we moved around a bit, um, but there was always, you know, an Adam's family or a Twilight Zone. And then I had, a, I had a friend growing up that he had, I think it was a Matahari and I think a high speed. Um, so that was really my my big introduction to pinball. It's just, I didn't learn to really properly play it until now in my thirties.
1: Do you, do you draw any inspiration from pinball art? Is there any uh, specific pinball art that you really, really love and admire?
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, I tend to like looking at the older machines, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, I don't know, there's a Sinbad game that, that there was a bar around me here that, has since closed, but they had a Sinbad and that that was really cool retro art. You know, I like the old like space shuttle type stuff. Let's see.
1: Yeah. Those, those old Gottliebs, they, they have the the same sort of style. And I mean, I'm not super familiar with the artist who did those, uh, it's like early seventies or mid seventies, I think. And there's like jungle queen and
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, like fire queen and, and just all of this really highly stylized, like bright pinks and yellows and they just look terrific. And I, I do, I love that style. I miss it. Um, some pretty great stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's probably a product of How they had to print the artwork, you know, be, I imagine it was screen printed on. Mm -hmm. Yep. Whereas, you know, now they can do the most incredible, you know, digital printing. Uh, I love all the modern art too. Yeah. Franchi, Zombie Yeti and stuff. That's all amazing. But sort of in the mid, I don't know, I guess, I guess the 90s. I don't know. Greg Freres, I like his work a lot too.
1: Sure. Now you did, um, you did a custom pinball retheme, right? Like a, like an art, like you did the art for the backglass, And, yeah. um, did you do the play field as well?
0: Yes. That's yeah.
1: terrific. Was that a commission?
0: Uh, it was just a weird kind of partnership that I struck <laughs> up with, um, uh, with David there in New Zealand. I heard him on the head to head pinball podcast talking about how he was working on this Sort of homebrewery theme, turning Bally's Freedom into Led Zeppelin, but he needed an artist, and I was just at that right point where I was I was willing to take take an opportunity like that that wasn't paid, just for the experience of figuring out how to work with a playfield and a backglass, and the challenge of it was kind of surprising. It it was a challenge of taking a thing that already exists, eliminating everything that didn't have to be there, but mm-hmm. identifying which shapes really did need to to stay based on, you know, where things were populated on the, the play field or where on the back glass, certain lights were set up to, you know, to come on if it's like player one or player two. Mm-hmm. And he gave me just the most intricate, the most intricate notes and photos where he had scrawled on the back of the thing with permanent marker, like down to the millimeter, how far apart different, different, uh, you know, holes in the glass might be. And I had to take that and, and figure out, okay, how can I be creative within these really specific boundaries?
1: Were you, were you really satisfied with the end product? Like, did you feel pretty good about it?
0: Oh, so cool.
1: I can imagine. Would yeah. you do it again?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Probably not in the same way. Like I wouldn't do it for free at this point. Uh, sure. just it, it really was very time consuming, um, mm-hmm. but it turned out so good. And I, I'm just, I'm so happy for that opportunity. And he was so cool to work with. Um, hopefully, you know, once the pandemic settles down and everything, maybe I'll get a trip figured out to go to New Zealand and actually see it in person.
1: Yeah, I hear his uh, I hear his collection is pretty pretty awesome. He's got a lot of System 11s, which I'm just a tremendous fan of uh, of System Eleven of that era of, of Williams games. So, um, and and he and his daughter are just uh, such cool people. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: yeah, they seem they seem so nice. And yeah, his collection's the largest in the country, some hundred and thirty machines or so. Yeah. Tell tell me a little bit more about yourself, cause like, bad you're asking me all the questions. Where are you?
1: That's okay. So I'm in, I'm in Columbia. I'm in South Carolina. Um, I came down here for, for the job with Marco specialties, uh, working in, in parts. And I think the first time I met you was actually at, it might've been at TPF. I, I was aware of your work. Um, I had definitely seen it before. I think a friend of mine had bought the TPF poster or, or something. I don't know. Time is just one of those things, you know? Yeah. And, so I, I think that was the first show I was working with them. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. I, um, I, and this shows a lot. I've mentioned it a couple of times already, Uh, the podcast, like having that, having that kind of stability and, and also it's a little bit chaotic, but the, the show circuit is one of my favorite things in the whole world that, I mean, it gives me the opportunity to meet people like you and to see really awesome art and concepts. And um. that's, I mean, that's why I wanted to talk to you is like, you're a pinball person, but you're kind of on the, you're like an outlier, I guess would be a good word.
0: Right. Yeah. Thank you. I guess obviously like I'm an artist first and a pinball pinball fan second. Um, I don't actually own any machines. So I am limited to playing when I go find a place locally or if there's a festival. Um, But I just find find pinball so inspirational in how it combines all these different disciplines together into one beautiful package the sure storytelling the music sound effects the visual art the gameplay the interactivity the electrical engineering the sound Mm -hmm. engineering there's there's just so many disciplines that all come together to make this thing that it's it's so far beyond my understanding like I have no mechanical sense of of how I would even maintain one if I managed to find space somewhere in this house where I eventually will put one. Um, Yeah, but
1: you definitely make it work when uh, when you do get one or two or three or seven. Like I mean, the the things that people do to get pinball machines and and the you know the weighing of how well. If I got rid of this one, I could get this one. I could sell this one for this much. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's it's kinda of funny. It's, it's and it's tough.
0: worth it. It's tough in here because I have I have like three printers, I have various computer things, I've got the laser cutter, and it's it's not a tiny house, but it's it's still a pretty small house.
1: Sure, and you work from and you work mostly from home, right? So, yes. yeah, <laughs> so uh, it
0: get a little crowded. <laughs> but, but that is the dream: is to to own a machine. And the criteria that I put on myself is that I get to own one when I've done the artwork for it. So that's like a long term goal. That then I will have to contend with all the stuff around me and figure out how I'm going to make it work. But it at least buys me some time. <laughs> but what's something I was going to say earlier is that in that journey for me of quitting my job and then starting to do art festivals that first year, I did a lot of events. I, I made sure that every week I was somewhere, even if i sure. was only making 75 bucks, lugging all of my stuff out there and setting it up and tearing it down. I was, I was very active. Mm-hmm. But as that year went and kind of, moved into the next year where I was finally able to set up at at TPF, uh, which is just about 20 minutes away from me here. Then as I started doing gaming-related shows, I found that that was really the best experience for me. I enjoyed being in that environment. It was fun interacting with people that were into these things. It was fun being surrounded by the sounds of video games and people walking around in, in costume or, you know, excited about the new machine. And I found that that was such a better experience than going and setting up at you know, whatever like craft fair was happening this weekend in downtown. That then my goal started shifting where it was to be a little bit more particular about where I set up, mm-hmm. more tactical about what I'm creating for this particular audience. I've been a lot happier doing that being a little bit more specific and patient about when I go and set up and, and create work for a particular, you know, event or audience. So it's, it's a shame that, you know, obviously TPF didn't get to happen this year. And um, like the Houston Arcade Expo is also a hell of a time. Keith does an awesome job of that. So I am very eager to be able to get back to it. If only so I can play some games, but also to to see folks like yourself again.
1: Yeah, it uh, shows like that can be really inspiring. I think there's there's something about how physical it all is. Not just like pinball itself as a medium, because it's excuse me, because it's very much a, a an art. It's a science and it's an art, and the way that pinball people interact with each other and the way that they interact, you know, when they're shopping or, you know, uh, uh, going to panels, it's, I, I find it really inspiring. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, like you said.
0: Yeah, I got a question for you. Sure. You're into cars. Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't know much about cars. So therefore, I have no idea what Scott Denisi is up to right now. Are you following him? Do you know what he's doing?
1: I am a little bit. I mostly see when he posts, like I, I know almost immediately when it's him posting. Cause it's usually like a picture of an amp. Cause he posts like a lot of sound stuff as well as car stuff. Yeah. But, um, and I'm trying to remember the car that he has. It's like a, I think it's a Mazda. Um, what is it? I'm sorry. I'm cheating right now. I'm looking at Instagram. No, it's
0: okay. Like I'll read so, his description and I won't, I won't know a single word won't recognize anything that's in the picture i'm completely dumbfounded by what he's posting
1: (laughs) yeah he's talking about like psi and like the boost and like working on the engine bay it's a he's got a he's got a mitsubishi and then he has something else that's like a it's actually like a very rare car i think but um he's he's uh he's very much an engineer in the sense that he likes you know audio engineering and physical engineering so yeah you know he he's working on the car if he's not working on pinball or audio he's working on a car um and i i don't know too much about the technical side of it um because my the extent of my knowledge about cars is mostly just like aesthetics
0: yeah
1: <laughs> i you know like i appreciate old cars and, and i grew up on a racetrack so i i've been around it for a long time but i never never really mean? learned any what's that
0: What is it what do you mean you grew up on a racetrack
1: my, my dad was the, uh, basically what's called the principal for a race team in the mid nineties. So I think it was like, I think we were on a team from like 93 to 95, just before we moved to the States from Canada. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So we were, we were always, there was a racetrack in Toronto, just outside Toronto. And we were always racing there on weekends and, you know, we'd be in the, in the pits and my dad would be doing his thing and We'd watch the races. We'd watch all the different races that they have because they'd have, uh, basically, like class re- related races. So like each kind of car has its own class and it's gonna race in its class division.
0: So oh. okay. So and you'd be you so, be there with like a giant pair of like uh, ear things.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. Ear
0: <laughs> ear yep. muffs. What do you what do you call this?
1: I um. They're, they're, I don't know what those are called. Um, just headphone. I guess you can't really call them headphones because they're not, you know, for, for intake audio, they're the opposite. Um, yeah. that might be yeah. why my hearing, that might be another reason why my hearing is so bad outside of going to so many rock concerts when I was a teenager is.
0: Yeah.
1: So I remember there was one year, there was like a charity race and it was for the sick kids foundation where it was like, make a wish essentially is, um, it's kind of the same thing, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, a bunch of kids who are like, we want to be in a race car. And so uh, a bunch of the the racers who would, who would race at that track basically just volunteered themselves to, to take these kids around the track, uh, you know, Okay. so yeah, Sweet. it was a lot of fun and I, I miss track days. It's a, uh, it's a lot of fun and it's, um, there's something really beautiful about the shape of cars. Uh, and I really love old cars, you know, um, yeah. And that's anytime I I see an old car on the side of the road, I have to stop and take a picture of it. Um.
0: I wish that I knew more about them because I I have the same visual reaction where, God, that's a beautiful car. But then I immediately think, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know anything about (laughs) what's under the hood. Uh, I guess that's not to say I couldn't learn. I just haven't really ever been exposed to the guts of a really interesting car.
1: Yeah, me honestly, me either. I like I I, I know some some basic stuff, but um, the more I I'm out there seeing cars, and and since I moved down south, I've also developed an appreciation for pickup trucks, especially okay. like vintage pickup trucks, like um, like Ford F one hundred series, which just have a, a terrific shape, even though they're essentially a box. <laughs> But the, the more I learn about it, the more I'm like, okay, I see, you know, I can sort of recognize an era can kind of recognize whether or not a car is, is rare. So it's, it's fun. If you, if you get the chance to learn about it, it's really cool. I actually, I really love your print of the, um, of the DeLorean. Oh, thank you. I appreciate a good gullwing car, even though they're, they're kind of, they're kind of failures as, as far as, you know, success is concerned.
0: Yeah, that, it's funny you, you referenced that one because I, I don't really draw cars ever, but somehow I had three DeLorean commissions in the last 12 months, so I, I've gotten kind of used to drawing that car. Yeah, I got to do the the family Christmas cards for Ernest Klein's family last year. Um, oh, that's so cool. And they, they had like a, a particular mashup that they wanted that was like, it's Back to the Future, but it's Christmas Vacation and... You know, driving the tree away from the mall. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was very specific and very awesome. And then since then, if, I've had two other excuses to draw DeLoreans.
1: If if I had all the money in the world, there would be there would be so many countless commissions I would ask you to do. Like I mentioned to you uh, when we were chatting the other day, I was like, you should do co- uh, coloring books, but like the paint by water coloring books.
0: Um, oh, okay. So you. <laughs> Okay, I'm laughing at myself now. Cause when I read that I thought that you meant that I should like take an existing one and just do the water on it. And I was like, that sounds kind of boring. I don't know. <laughs> you you meant that I should make them, yes. Yeah. <laughs> And
1: it's funny because I I had forgotten about those. Like I had a bunch. I mean, I loved coloring when I was a kid. I always had my coloring books. And like I I did do a lot of paint by paint by water and like paint by number kind of stuff. And I had totally forgotten about paint by water coloring books. And they don't make them anymore. Um, I think like... There might be some, but they're mostly very, like, unlicensed, like, kitty kind of coloring books. I've seen yeah. them online. But, uh, you know, it was, like, stuff like, you know, the Disney movie that had been out at the time. And uh, sure. it was definitely very messy. They claimed it was it was not messy. Like, the idea is, is like, oh, you're painting, but you're not causing a huge mess, you know. Um,
0: yeah, I wonder know, how that work. works. I wonder how they, they make that. Because, hmm. really I mean, science. when I'm when i'm working on my own stuff it's kind of similar in the sense that you know i just i address the black outlines mm-hmm. first and then i figure out what the coloring is going to be like although i yeah. do it digitally but as far as printing it so that it's then water reactive i have no idea
1: yeah it must be like a special a special kind of ink that they did that they just uh, i don't know i don't know the first thing about substrate
0: <laughs> nah. Um, so, so you're in South Carolina. Do do you go to Asheville very often? That's in North Carolina. I,
1: I don't. I have never been to Asheville. Actually, it's it's a trip that I I keep meaning to take. And then, well, I mean, with COVID, I can't really go much of anywhere. I, sure. I went out to to Knoxville just last uh, just in September for my birthday for a quick trip because I got a buddy out there, and you know, we we kind of limited ourselves to what we did. And yeah. um, but. No, no, I haven't been to Asheville. I, I hear it's interesting. I hear it's a very um, artistic community, and it's a very open and kind of uh, yeah, very different from the rest of the South.
0: Yeah, it's it's beautiful, and we have friends there, and we've we've visited twice in the last few years. And the uh, they have a pinball museum that's pretty fun to hit when I'm in town.
1: Yeah, actually, when I was when I was on the drive back from from Knoxville. I stopped in a place called Saluda, and um, I can't for the life of me remember the the neighboring town, but in the neighboring town, it's a like, really historic, beautiful mountain town, and they have the, the sister museum to that museum, and it's called the Appalachian Pinball Museum, but it's the same owner. Oh. I didn't know
0: about
1: that one. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was so funny because I had stopped in Saluda and uh, to kind of take a load off to stretch my legs. And I stopped at this little, this little thrift store, got to talk into the lady who ran it and mentioned that I did pinball. You know, I I worked in pinball. I enjoyed pinball. She says, Oh, she goes, you should go to the next town over. There's a museum of pinball. (laughs) I said, Oh, small. What are the chances of that? So, so I just went to the next town, grabbed something to eat. And then, spent about 2 2 or 3 hours in that in that museum just kind of hanging out and start, struck up a conversation with the uh, the owner's son who was working there at the time so it was kind of a nice nice little surprise a little reprieve from my trip
0: yeah all right i'll put that on my bucket list uh, yeah another aside i i was curious the last new machines that i saw were Elvira and Jurassic Park and that was in november at the Houston Arcade Expo but i haven't seen in person i haven't seen stranger things or rick and morty or i haven't even seen um the black knight oh really yeah huh. so, like what's the most recent machine that you've gotten to play
1: so there's so there's two um there's stern release teenage mutant ninja turtles and yeah. then almost immediately after they they released Avengers Infinity Quest, which is Keith Elwin's game, and uh, yeah. Zombie Yeti did the did the art for both of those as well. So yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is fun. It's uh it's pretty easy to shoot. Uh, it's actually kind of surprisingly challenging. And then uh, Avengers is is a pretty good Keith Elwin game. Very much his style. You know, he he sticks to his style, but you can't necessarily say it's all cookie cutter. They're they're fun to play. There's a a couple of arcades down here in Columbia that that has. Uh, one of them has both so um i get to play it not as much as i'd like because i'm i'm kind of trying not to go out as much as possible yeah um which is a shame but if if i know that the local arcade is going to be a little slow then i'll stop in because i know i'll be the only one and i'll play a couple games but it's um yeah if you do is there anywhere in dallas you're in dallas right
0: yeah well technically it's Louisville, which is just north of DFW Airport. So I, I'm kind of in between Dallas and Fort Worth. I sort of identify with both, I guess. But yeah, we have we have a lot of really great places. Um, Cider Cade, Bishop, Bishop Cider Company, turned their brewery, or their distillery brewery? I'm not sure what you'd call it. But anyway, it's it's a huge arcade. It's like a free play joint. And they, they keep their machines in the most beautiful condition there's always somebody there like cleaning them working on i think they don't actually own them they just like rent them out but whoever they're renting them from does an amazing job of keeping it up tip-top shape and they're all like the premium versions mm-hmm. of all the new releases i just haven't been able to go um yeah we've been staying like abundantly cautious and staying in which is nice because we're homebodies and we're perfectly happy here. It just kind of cuts into my ability to go, uh, go play pinball for the time being.
1: Yeah, Cidercade, I think they just opened up a place in Austin as well, the, like a second location. Nice. Yeah, I, I keep hearing about it and I'm like, oh, one of these days, the next time I'm in Texas, I have to find a way to get out there because yeah. it's, um, it sounds like a really cool spot.
0: Yeah, they. I mean, they even have a Primus, which I think is a good uh, like indicator of how much they really invest in like whatever is cool and new and premium.
1: Yeah. Oh, we got a premise in just, the office. Yeah.
0: Really? Yeah. Awesome.
1: It doesn't get much play, but yeah. it's, it's there.
0: <laughs> it, 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 it's a weird design like that. Um, that whatever big old melons or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, I love Primus and I love the artwork and the call outs from Les Claypool are cool. So for, for a Primus fan, it's really cool to see it in person.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're so fun. Um and I love I love how green it is. Like it it stands out like a like a big green booger. Um yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's super just gross. definitely <laughs> yeah, it's really eye catching. I, I really enjoy that. It's uh, out of the three, the three iterations of that game, um, I think that the Primus one is probably my favorite. So you mentioned you, well, you didn't mention, but you said we. Uh, your your wife, your partner, is an artist too, isn't she?
0: Yeah. So she uh, traditionally she is a fiber artist. You know, she'll spin yarn and and knitting is her main thing. But lately, she's been diving into, uh, watercolor and gouache painting, which oh. surprises me even. Um, I think she always like growing up, she wasn't the visual artist in the group of her friends. And then with me, I think she felt a little intimidated. Um, <laughs> and so she, she never really like outwardly expressed a desire to do that kind of thing until now. And I've been really impressed with, with what she's been doing. So yeah, uh, we, we both get pretty creative in here. Yeah. That's cool.
1: You challenge you challenge each other. Uh,
0: kinda. I mean, we it's like we don't work in any of the same media, so we can kind of be in awe of what each other are doing. Uh, I think she would like me to maybe assign her a, a challenge of some kind. Though. Um, <laughs> but lately, because she's a bookseller, um, but for you know, for sake of COVID um, she was furloughed and then uh, her position was eventually eliminated. So right now she's really kind of just helping me to fulfill orders. And, and I'm encouraging her to, you know, not worry too much about the fact that she's not um, like officially working at a place, but you know, that we're, we are comfortably surviving and enjoying this time to be at home and be creative. I think. Yeah, and I yeah, reflect okay. on this really positively in, in the future. It's like this weird chunk of time where we get to be at home with our dog and spend all this time together that otherwise we wouldn't be able to do.
1: It's a really uh, positive and refreshing way of looking at it because I feel like a lot of people who are partnered, who have been kind of quote unquote stuck together, um, have not come out as, as positive or, or looking at it with that kind of perspective. And that's, that's really that's really nice to hear.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said, we're homebodies, so we're happy to sure. be here. If we were more extroverted, it might be difficult, or if we, I don't know, if we didn't each have space in the house to kind of do our own things. Like, we, we both have our own studio spaces, and we, we turned our loft space into, like, a painting wing for her, um, so... Yeah, every day it's something creative, which is really nice.
1: Cool, that's awesome. All right, Brad. Well, I think that's that's all I got for you today. Um, okay. Do you uh, do you want to tell the people where you're, they can find your stuff?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm pretty much on social media with just my name, which is at Brad Albright. Uh, Instagram is probably the most direct place to go to look at stuff, um, mm-hmm. and I'm on etsy which is albright illustration that's the name of the shop um, it's my website you can just type in my name bradalbright.com or albright illustration and um, i do have a commission for a pinball company that's coming out in the near future i won't get too specific about it but it'll be a pretty cool 3d poster oh terrific um, yeah so i'm excited about that and then, that'll obviously be in my Instagram when the time comes. Very mm-hmm. cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to.
1: Are you going to Walk. be doing more stuff? Are you going to be doing more stuff like the dinosaurs, like just sort of uh, a little bit yeah. outside of, yeah. Yeah. So they,
0: they hired me to do the dinosaur piece. They also wanted an outer space piece, which is just as much in my wheelhouse. So mm-hmm. I'm that right now, um, if, if, <laughs> if I were to pitch them a third thing, it would be Western themed because that's kind of my other avenue that I rotate between as far as like original content goes. Sure. Um. Let's see what else we were just, we were kind of swamped getting ornaments ready. Um, got some wholesale orders we're doing for that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, between the, the big like poster projects, I'm always just, filling my Instagram and Etsy feed with new stickers and things like that. So there's always something. No.
1: It's a, it's always great to see what you've got. And whenever you come out with something new, I'm like almost 99% of the time, I'm like that Freaking rules. And if my, if my <laughs> yeah. bankroll was bigger, I would just Thank you. I would just give you money
0: well, all the time. Well, the thing that, that I try to remind people that I don't, I don't know if people realize if, if you have a pair of 3d glasses, which, which you do because I would have sent them to you. Um, mm-hmm. but anybody that has the red and blue glasses, you can look at all of my stuff on the web without having to buy anything, and it, <laughs> and it looks really good on a computer screen. So I,
1: that's I, awesome. I never really to, thought about that.
0: Yeah, it's it's good because it's it's backlit and everything. So try mm-hmm. to get people to do that as often as I think to remind them because most people I think don't realize that that's even something that you can see. Yeah. Awesome.
1: All right, man. Well, it was good to talk to you. Uh, hopefully I'll yeah. see you soon either. I don't know, man. I don't know when there's going to be shows again, but um, yeah. it's, it's always a pleasure to to talk to you, even if it's brief.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Crystal. Yeah. I, I don't know about TPF. I know that they're, they're going forward with their plans, but they're kind of ready for it to go sideways. Yeah. I would, I would love for like Houston arcade expo to, to be able to go forward a year from now, but I don't know. I guess we'll just have yeah. to see.
1: Fingers crossed. Hopefully yeah. hopefully it'll be safe enough for, for something soon.
0: It'll be super fun whenever we can do it again. Everybody yeah. will be so excited.
1: Absolutely. That was me and Brad Albright talking about pinball and art and stuff. You could find him at albrightillustration.com. You could buy his stuff at etsy it's uh forward slash Albright illustration uh go and buy his posters get some ornaments it's Christmas is coming up. get some of those doodads they're really cool. My personal favorite is he just came out with one it's the uh the bad guy from what is it Angels without wings or something like that it's the it's the bit from home alone, which is my all time favorite Christmas movie um you know, the machine gun you know. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Anyways, it looks really good. So go and check that stuff out, buy a poster, buy an ornament. Just shortly after we recorded that, he released this poster that he did for the Stern Insider Program. It's uh, another one of his 3D style posters. And uh, it looks really good. It looks really awesome. It was kind of a nice surprise to see that um, just after that. I mean, like I said, he's always he's always working. He's always pumping stuff out. So So go check him out on Instagram too, because he's posting updates. He'll he just did another one. It's like a, a beer can for a company. Uh, he designed like that uh, Zombie Land kind of beer can for some brewery. I don't remember, but it's good stuff. That's it for me today. As always, you can email me at theplumpinballpodcast at gmail.com. You could find me on Instagram, theplumpinball. I'm not really using Twitter anymore. I guess I just don't see a need for it. I don't know. I mean, you could go there. You could find me, but maybe... Maybe I'll post something every once in a while. But usually everything I need is on Instagram. So, yeah. So uh, until next time, uh, hey, listen, wash your hands. Don't touch your eyes or your mouth. Just uh, wear your mask. Be smart. Take care of yourselves. Bye. LA on the mind. I can't breathe. You're
0: there when I close my eyes. So hard to reach. Your smile's turning to the same relief.